and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in medicine and health. This is a podcast which we hopefully will lift the lid on some of the secrets of making freelancing a success. Um, We spent most of the last year writing a book, which is due out hopefully in July 2020, Freelancing for Journalists. Um, And in writing this book, we realised that even seasoned freelancers such as ourselves still have a lot to learn. Yeah, so this podcast is about passing on some of our wisdom with the help of some special guests each week. Um, We will bring in our guests in a minute. Our topic this week is contacts and networking. Um, It's really vital to get good at this. So let's get straight to our top tips. Lily, what is your freelance hack on contacts and networking? So this is something that I learned quite early on. um, And basically it's to take every opportunity to get a contact. Um, And even when it seems like that's not the purpose of what you're doing. So if you're interviewing someone and they may be a way into um, someone that you want to work with, then um, it's always about not being afraid to ask for a contact. So if I put this into context, um, I remember when I was writing an article for the Metro, which was a money article, um, but it was to do with whether eating a vegan diet was cheaper or more expensive than a meat diet. And so I interviewed the editor of Vegan Living magazine And basically at the end of the interview, I said to her, are you taking any pictures for the magazine? Do you commission? What kind of things are you looking for? And she was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. These kind of things she wants. She told me about all the different sections and said, yep, this is my personal email address. And basically from that moment onward, I started working for Vegan Living. But it was out of an article I was doing for the Metro on money, something completely differently. So the point there really was, you know, don't kind of go in with that right at the beginning. But if you're ever dealing with anyone that works in media, even if you're interviewing them or they're interviewing you, it's about building up those contacts and saying, hey, you know, can you help me get work at wherever it is? Yeah. And because also that's going to work in your case better than an email introduction because you've just been having a chat with her. Sure. She knows that you're a journalist and that you'd you kind of already built up a bit of a rapport. Yeah. in that conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm not just some random person contacting her. Okay, so my tip this week is something that I did when I started out. So this might be quite good if you're suddenly taking the leap into freelancing. Um, I made a list of publications I could work for, potentially, um, in my specialism, and I sent them an introductory email explaining I was available for freelance work. Um, but not saying, give me work, asking them how they use freelancers and how best approach them with ideas. Um, For example, is there a day they like to receive pitches on? Um, Everyone works differently. So this approach I found um, was quite useful in building up information and a picture of how people like to work. Loads of editors didn't reply, but some did. And some added me to contact details for when they were going to send out um, requests for pitches. And that list of editors was always going to be a useful resource for the future anyway. Um, And I did get some work out of it, not necessarily straight away, but it paid off uh, down the line. Um, And I sort of pitched it as, I don't want to waste your time, so tell me how you work. And that seemed to be 
that seemed to work. That seemed to kind of get me some answers rather than, hi, I'm freelance. Can you give me some work? It was just kind of, it was a welcome approach, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think that's it. And it's it's about almost bagging those contacts for the future. So even if nothing comes out of it right now, um, it may help you further down the line. So I remember when I I was pitching to the Telegraph about uh, something to do with netball, um, they didn't want it. And then literally a year later, they emailed me and said, can you write this piece today about England win- winning the Commonwealth uh, Games netball? We need a comment piece today. And obviously she just saved that email. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, these things do sort of, you know, pay off further down the line. People recognise your name as well. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Great. Okay. So now it's time to introduce our guests for this week. We've got Umar Hussain, a freelance data journalist specialising in technology and the media industry. Umar started out as a sports journalist, but he's currently working as a technical writer for an analytics consultancy while still working as a freelance journalist in evenings and at the weekends. So hello, Umar. Hello, Lily. Great to be here. Um, we also have Adam Hancock, who started freelancing as a sports journalist at a radio station in London before securing a place on the BBC Journalism Training Scheme. Uh, he's freelanced for numerous outlets, including BBC Breakfast TV, BBC Africa Sport, BBC Radio 5 Live, uh, as well as outside the Beeb. Uh, he's currently working as a broadcast journalist at BBC World News TV in London. So thanks for coming in, Adam. Great to be here. So, Uma, let's get started with you. What is your top tip then for building up those contacts? Oh, that's quite a difficult question to start with, isn't yeah, it? Get in um, there. I think what sort of helped me in, in great stead is probably looking outside the non-media industries because when you want to build up that report for building up a sort of niche or a specialism, it's best to go outside your comfort zone and find contacts that you wouldn't necessarily come across with sort of journalists for example so how I got this technical writing gig was because I kind of made myself known in the community for yeah. a couple of years and then they offered up a technical writing position on a contract basis and which I took up uh, but also as well just generally making myself available and also just being very approachable to people that's how I've sort of managed to meet lots of different people whether it's someone whether it's a giant of broadcasting like Jim Rosenthal or someone like Mark Reeves from Birmingham Live. So it's sort of, you just have to be very approachable and you've got to come in with the outlook that you're not going to come in for work straight away, but you've got to build up that long-term relationship so that when it comes to getting that work, you're you're the first person that they come to with ideas and stories. Yeah, exactly. I mean, same question to you, Adam. Is there something that you found has worked particularly well? Um, I think one one thing I picked up on quite quickly is that actually everyone knows someone. So I when I first started freelan- freelancing, I was quite panicked that I didn't have enough contacts or I wouldn't be able to get in touch with certain people. But then what I actually realised is through kind of through friends, through through colleagues, they have their own contacts, which actually can very quickly become your contact because if they, it's very helpful when somebody contacts someone on your behalf and copies you in on an email, for example. Um, because at least if they know the person already, they will trust their recommendation. So I actually, for a couple of uh, bits of freelance work that I picked up, if I was interested in working in a department or, or for, for a certain organisation, I would contact someone that I knew who who I thought they may have contacts there and they actually put me in touch with someone and helped me out. So rather than looking at it as 
oh my word who are my contacts who do i know like use people around you already that you, even your friends your your family and they can really lead to other good contacts yeah i think that's that's really true i mean certainly emma and i we share contacts quite a bit and i started working for pulse because emma sort of recommended me to them so yeah definitely kind of using those contacts that you've already got yeah and sh- kind of sharing networks and kind of links into networks that you might have yeah well. and it's and it's not being kind of afraid to give away those contacts because sometimes mm. freelancers mm. can be really protective like oh you know if I give away this contact then they're not gonna commission me anymore um they're they're only going to be you know that I'll lose my work to somebody else and I think it's just having the confidence that you know it's karma isn't it if mm. you if you share contacts then um it's much more likely that someone's going to be open to sharing contacts with you Absolutely. yeah and you're kind of seen as helpful yeah. in kind of finding a solution for the person that they need right then so yeah. yeah yeah so i just wondered really you know once you've kind of got your bank of contacts how important is it to kind of keep making new contacts um is that something that you both sort of try to do umar how about you absolutely um i i always say even though it's nice to have a core set of contacts that you can rely on it's you've got to keep building it up so what i try and do is i set it into three different classes so i have the main contacts that i actually contact on a regular basis so that could be once a week through emails and texts then i have some people who i contact occasionally just to see what they're up to and then the ones that I rarely contact which probably maybe once every couple of months okay so it's just about making sure that you're not overloading yourself with contacts but also as well you've got a clear definition of how to contact people and where they sort of stand in your sort of category of contacting so to speak yeah 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 I mean I do have editors who have kind of quite a large number of publications I work for and if I've not done anything from them for a while even if I don't have a pitch I might just check in with a Mm. kind of hi especially if I work with them it doesn't have to be offering them work it's just a kind of oh I noticed this did you you know have you guys been covering this or you know I really liked the article you did on because it's just flagging up that you exist and you're here and Mm. um, reminding them of that working relationship that you had once upon a time and not forgetting about it yeah that's why I think it's crucial as well just to like it feels pretty lame at the time to effectively have a contacts book or make a Google Doc or whatever with all your contacts. But I so easily lose track of people and forget about people. And then if you actually need to get in touch with them, it can be quite embarrassing if you've not spoke to them for like two years or yeah. something. So it is just not like people do, do just appreciate you keeping in touch. Um, and even sometimes if you think, oh, maybe maybe they're going to feel like I'm hassling them. They probably won't, to be honest. So like I, I constantly try and keep on top of people that I've worked with or, um, you know, people who could be potential new contacts as well. So where do you put those contacts? Because do you have a Google Doc? I have a Google Doc, yeah. yeah. I used to I used to, I used used to, to write things down in a diary, but I would just lose the diary or I would just lose interest in it. Whereas a Google Doc, wherever you're working, you can just get it up. You can get it on your phone. Um, you have to be really disciplined with it. Yeah. Um, and it, it is a little bit time consuming, but it comes in handy. And I do it not just for like contacts who I could get work from. I also do it for people who I've got on to, you know, TV or radio shows for interviews and I will put like their name, their phone number and then in brackets I'll put like an area that their specialism is. So like another day you can just just do a control F, search that document 
and you know we need somebody to talk about brexit yeah. you search brexit and you'll find good people so that's always useful for me yeah i mean i've just started um a new project like i don't have enough time on my hands um, doing this because all my contacts were spread in different places mm. so i had a big excel sheet there's one i used to be at pulse that i'd kind of exported from when i left there i've got some that are just in emails some that are in different books like it's all just spread around the place so i have recently started a google doc and i've started to put every new person in there and every day i've set myself a goal of putting five old contacts in there to just slowly build it up into one place so ultimately hopefully eventually i'll have it in one place but it's it's too big a job now to do so if you're just starting out doing this take our advice yeah go now and go from early. the beginning <laughs> get that google doc in yeah. place yeah but hopefully over the next year i'll get it so that it's all just in and one then they place. will have moved on you'll have to go back and update it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean also but i am updating now with every new contact and everything that i do every day goes into that google doc so hopefully it will come a point where those two worlds do you, yeah. do you put them in alphabetical order no oh. <laughs> no because i because I, d- I do the same as you i have um like specialties like why uh, i know okay. them who they are so it might be like a gp or public health expert and then i can just and maybe why i spoke to them right so i don't know if it's a gp who knows lots about video conferencing mm. whatever it is mm. and then i can just control f i figured that was an easy way because i'm a bit rubbish at remembering names as well mm. i was like oh i did speak I'm to that person who's from but i need to know I'll, I'll remember the topic rather than their name so i think that's that system makes sense to me yeah i'm the opposite i can remember people's names what they did etc because i f- kind of think it's all about building long-term relationships so there's a chippy that i used to go to in muswell hill in london that i used to go to every saturday and i remember both the owners names <laughs> and they always seem to remember me so i used to get sort of little sort of free freebies from them every time i yeah, yeah. ordered a fish and chips from them and that was quite nice because they kind of knew who i was they knew what i w- wanted and they just, just generally had a nice chat so it's just ma- mainly about just being approachable and also as well to follow on from your point adam i do have a contacts book even though i'm a little bit old school but i am looking to moder- modernize myself with having a Google Doc, so that at least I need to sort mine. Uh, amazingly, Lily has got a Google Doc for everything. everything. I'm now very astonished to find well, she doesn't have one for her I contacts. I do have a Google Doc <laughs> contacts, but it's so out of date, and I'm really lazy and just tend to rely on my email. So I search on my email, but then I forget who either who the contact is or that I've even got the contact. Yeah. So this I is I a I've spent ages trying to find the right person to send something to. And then I've gone, oh, yeah, I've, I've dealt with them before and just completely forgot. So I think, yeah, having a, a list that you update yeah, and getting it started from the very beginning is, yeah, it's really important to keep on top of that. Um, shall we talk a bit about how you can use social media um, to form networks and contacts as well? Um, this is definitely something that didn't exist when we started out, but is becoming ever more important. So, Adam, what's your yeah? On that? I think it's massive. I think it's maybe the top top yep. thing nowadays. Yep, yep. Um, pretty much everyone has some kind of social media presence. Um, it just makes people so much more approachable. Um, it gives them a good idea of your personality as well, because it's not just like a faceless email. At least if you get in touch with them, they can have a look at your profile. They can see what you're all about. They yeah. can get an idea about you. Um, 
generally I found whenever I've contacted people on social media, the majority do reply or do get back to you. Um, so it's really crucial. I've I've actually used link, LinkedIn a lot as well. I mean, like Twitter's, I think Twitter's great, um, less so really Facebook. But LinkedIn I've actually found as like a really good source of getting in touch with people uh, and trying to trying to get potential work. I don't really know why that is. Yeah, I don't. I was, that's interesting because maybe I'm not using it right, but I've never found LinkedIn to be that mm. useful. Um, but maybe that's that might mm. be how I'm approaching using LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, I never. I I mean, I I don't even know if I use it right. But but from what I from what I've kind of learned in my experience is that if you connect with someone, invariably they'll get an email and they'll go, oh, okay, who's this? And they'll look at your profile and then. If they connect back, if you get them quite quick and send them a message, yeah, you can kind of get through to people that way as well. Yeah, and you sort of feel a bit more professional because it's LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So yeah, but but social media, I think, is absolutely massive for contacts now. I mean, Uma, you use Twitter a lot, mm-hmm. um, so tell me how that's uh, how useful that's been in kind of creating networks of. Probably the most influential thing I've ever used to be honest with you, in terms of a social network, even though you do have to waddle through quite a lot of rubbish to get to yeah. where you need to be. <laughs> but I think I found that when I got the Journal Resources Commission to do the Day in the Life series, I actually contacted Jim Rosenthal first on Twitter DM just to make that initial connection, and then we sorted out everything. And now I've got his phone number, so mm. I've never had to rely on contacting him on, D- um, on Twitter DM. So I find that sort of twitter has just become a great source of finding contacts but also trying to build long-term relationships with other journalists because i find that if you dm them and you ask them for their phone number or their email that in itself is kind of like a big phone directory in a way mm. you're, just, you're kind of taking away the social aspect of social media and then treating it as sort of as if it was a big giant phone directory and actually using um social media using uh twitter for connecting with other journalists when you're freelance that can be really important facebook is quite useful for this as well because mm-hmm. there's lots of kind of freelance journalism groups on there because if you're working at home I mean, it depends if you're doing shifts and going in it's a bit different but if you're working at home it can feel quite isolating or you kind of am i doing this right is everybody mm-hmm. having this problem i'm having getting paid or whatever it might be it can actually and it's a good source of kind of ideas and yeah, and it can it can make you feel a bit like a part of a community as well. Yes, yeah. I, I know Twitter's kind of a big echo chamber, but like a lot of people I follow on on Twitter are journalists or freelance journalists, and obviously everyone's talking at the moment about you know a lack of work with with coronavirus and stuff. So it kind of makes you feel like a bit more part of the team and can make you feel a bit more secured as well. And if you're just looking for kind of, I I sometimes use it, and if there's somebody who I'm like, oh, they look like they're doing some interesting things, it's a good way to like kind of stalk them a little bit but go back down and look at like where they worked what projects they worked on who they spoke to um so sometimes it's a good way just to get people's background as well and, and learn from what they've done yeah i think we found um the the groups that we're in on facebook um there's actually a lot of commissioning editors as well sort of lurking on there mm. who don't you know you don't necessarily know and then every now and then they'll sort of pop off and say you know, we're looking to commission stories and such such a topic. But again, it's a great directory. So if you want to know, you know, health editor of Daily Mail, you go onto one of these groups and you just put it in the search bar. Mm. Chances are someone's asked that before. Someone's given a response and there's yeah. an email address there. Yeah. Um. So they they can be really useful. Yeah. I mean, it's well. one of the main reasons I'm still on Facebook. 
Yeah. I was kind of thinking yeah. about whether, yeah. and actually, as I cannot get rid of those resources because mm. like daily I'm kind of checking in and seeing with yeah, what other freelancers Groups are up on to. Facebook, I think they sometimes go under the radar, but they're absolutely like they're insanely good actually. If you Very get into good, some yeah. into some good ones and like just opportunities come up on them all the time. Yeah. No. Exactly. So are, I'm a member of the Medical Journalists Association. Um, just to give an example of a uh, organisation who you might be able to join with to kind of help with networking and things. Is that, um, have you got any, Umar, have you got any other organisations that you've joined um, to help kind of make contacts? Not as far as I'm aware of, but I do sort of lurk around with the Birmingham Press Club, which is the oldest press club in England. So I tend to go to the Young Journalist Network event which happens on a monthly basis yeah which is great for me to get with young journalists in the Birmingham and West Midlands area and I kind of find that particularly in Birmingham the media industry in Birmingham is kind of coming under a bit of a renaissance recently so it's been good for me just to find people who are working in the sector whether it's tv radio or, or online but also as well I kind of think to some degree Things like journal resources are quite useful. Who I and, and I kind of work with Gem every now and again. Yeah. And it kind of helps me just to try and get a good footing of who I am, and it just puts a face to a name, really. Yeah, I mean, when I lived in London and was working in London, I used to go to journalism events, networking events, all the time. Mm. And I don't now in Sheffield. That's not to say that they don't exist, but actually seeking out that kind of face to face social groups can be quite useful as well mm. not just kind of relying on online yeah yeah to make those connections i think online is a really good place to to start and it's a really good place to initially get a relationship going but i always find that often not a lot will actually get done until you've met the person face to face or spoken on the phone so i think like as an initial step it's great but still try and push through for the for the face-to-face interaction yeah, yeah or getting yeah. people on the phone because I, you know, the number of editors I deal with, I've never actually spoken to on the phone, and I, I find that a little bit strange. It I'm is like, odd, isn't it? And when yeah. you try, and then you ring them, and then no, they don't actually answer the phone, which I, it's really bizarre. But wh- whenever I have an opportunity to ring, I will always try and ring mm. and and speak to someone because it just it does just help with that relationship. It's about relationship building. Of course, and I always text. I normally try and give one text a week, purely because. And it could be not n- nothing related to journalism. It could be just taking the mick out of something that happened 20 or 30 years ago. Just just to build that bit of camaraderie with the journalists yeah. that you usually see. Because I know that as freelancers it can be quite lonely and we can all be working much of the time. But if you could just have a little bit of banter and a bit of fun, it just helps. Well, yeah, if you were in the office, you'd be doing that kind of joking community thing yeah. all the time, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I... um. So the past couple of years, I've made an effort to go... A lot of the publications I work for are based in London. Um, So I'm working for them kind of weekly and dealing with them by phone or email. But I will make a trip down to London on a work day and try and meet up with as many as I can Mm. just for a coffee or lunch. Because I just just think you're going to get more work out of it in the long term. You can actually sit down and have a proper meeting, a protected chat about are you giving them what they want Mm. are they is there you know have they got any more opportunities and everything and it's worked that's worked out quite well and it's just nice to just kind of sit down and have a 
face-to-face conversation with someone rather than just being a I mean yeah there was one recently I went down and met um a new editor that I'd been working with for about six months at the pharmaceutical journal and we just had a laugh about the fact that we didn't even know what each other looked like (laughs) and had and like he was like you're nothing like how I expected but he wouldn't expand on that and I didn't know if that was a good thing or not (laughs) but do you know what I mean you build up a picture of someone don't you in your head when you're emailing them and actually the truth can just be really different so it yeah and that. yeah, some, it's harder to get feedback as well, actually, when you're mm. doing things over email or like detailed feedback. So to actually speak to someone and say, well, hang on a minute, all this work I'm doing for you, do you actually like it? Is it actually yeah. what you're looking for? Because they're in a rush. They're just kind of doing their production or whatever. But yeah. if you can kind of just have a time where you just sit down for coffee and go, mm. am I delivering the stuff in the way that you want it? Are there ways that we can mm. help each other even more? That can actually be really useful. Of course. And I think as well, what I've sort of found with other contacts is if you just meet up for a coffee and just have a laugh, it's it's the perfect way of just building a long-term yeah. working relationship. I think, case in point, I speak to Adrian Goldberg, who's from BBC WM and occasionally does File on 4 on Radio 4, and I find that the more I speak to Adrian, the more he promotes my work on social media. It just gives me a bit of a confidence booster because I've got somebody that I know who's who lives in the same area as me, knows what I'm doing and it's just an all-round nice guy to be around so it's just sort of once they have a face to a name like you've just said Adam it's I think you kind of they start recommending you for more work it it just becomes a snowball effect in a way well that's the thing if someone comes to them and says can you do this and you say no I'm busy but I know someone who can and you're kind of at the at the front of their mind when they're thinking about that yeah, and I think it's useful getting feedback as well. So I recently um, was contacted by a publication saying I'd been recommended to them. Um, and my first thought was, well, by who? Like, who? Mm. who's recommended me? Cause, and I was, I was trying to work it out. And I was like, because this is all a bit random. And I asked them, they told me, and I was like, oh, okay, that actually makes sense. But it was good to know, and it was good to know that the editor that recommended me had obviously liked the work that I did. So it's always useful getting feedback at every opportunity yeah so i um recently uh was uh asked to uh host an event at a conference um and i didn't know kind of where they'd like how yeah i mean this is up my street but how how did you come across me so i asked them and they kind of said oh well i found this article you'd write and then i went on social media and you could kind of see how those networks mm. are working that you don't you don't ever see the other side of it. But you're like, oh, right, okay, I really must update my website then because people are actually <laughs> looking at <laughs> it. And that's, yeah. yeah, this has kind of sent work my way. Yeah, just on that, I just wonder, um, have either of you had work come from unusual places, like people contact you that was kind of unexpected? I had a very strange one once where I, so I did a bit of traveling and I just made a travel blog mainly as a way to kind of keep my family up to date with what was going on. Um, and when I got back, a guy got in touch with me um, who had randomly like stumbled across my blog, liked it, and then he worked for Scumthorpe United, the football club, and he was like, we're looking for someone to do some writing for our programme. And uh, he was like, would you be interested in doing it? I like your style. <laughs> so I, I did a, f- a few little articles for them and... I, I was just kind of like taken aback. I was like, "How did you even find this blog?" Um, yeah, that's probably the probably the the most random one, which kind of links to my point of 
like putting something online you just never know who's going to find that yeah and also like the power of your name being on something as well i once uh, wrote a feature which got onto like the the uk homepage of the bbc news website and it had my name on it and the amount of people who i even ha- hadn't told about it who like whatsapp me with screenshots of my name on this <laughs> it was incredible so like any way that you can get your name out there people will be looking and people will get in touch with you so um yeah like but yeah that's probably the strangest example i've got yeah how about you Uma? i think this this is probably going to be even stranger because um early on in my career um somebody offered me an opportunity to cover gaelic games in birmingham so covering hurling in gaelic football which i had absolutely no knowledge about but i was being paid something like 75 pound for a single page and 150 pound for a double page spread which would be published in print so i thought if the universe if my old university is offering me this opportunity to do it then i better see what it's like and i just had a blast doing it for eight months as a freelancer it was just the most fascinating sport you could cover Mm. it was very dangerous i almost got hit by a hurley a couple of times (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, very randomly. So Lily and I both um, do uh, journalism teaching as well as working as journalists. And people always ask me how I got into it. And I came um, to, it was the 10th anniversary of the university department where I studied and just bumped into an old tutor of mine who said, because um, my background is science before I did journalism, and he said, oh, I'm teaching these uh, some science students this communication, short course communication, and I can't stand it. Can you come and do it for me? <laughs> <laughs> because he was just used to doing just journalism, and he was just suddenly having lots of questions about scientific papers and right. how to present them and things. And so I did, and that led to something else, which led to something else. And that was just because I was going along to a do and meeting up with some old... Um, you know, some old colleagues off my journalism course. It, it, well, I didn't go along to that expecting to get any work whatsoever or anything. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's those kind of unexpected places or going to events where the sole purpose might be something else, but there is a networking opportunity there. So, I mean, one thing we haven't really talked about is conferences and awards. And, I mean, I know, Emma, you picked up wor- work through an awards do, didn't you? Yes, so... Um, I think it was the Guild of Health Writers Awards that I'd been nominated and it was at that award that I met um, a health reporter at BBC News Online who said, we've got five weeks of freelance shifts, are you interested? And that's what started. Uh, And that was just a random conversation. And so I did. I sent them a CV and that's what started the whole freelancing thing. Um, I mean, awards, these are... They're a bit self-congratulated, aren't they? But mm. they're brilliant for meeting people, for meeting all the editors and seeing and putting mm. faces to names and seeing what publications are out there and what kind of things people are doing, what they're interested in. It's really useful. Yeah, and I think even if um, even if you're not nominated, if you if you know you can get along to it some other way, um, then it's still worth going to, like you say, to put a face to a name and, and just to be there, kind of, you've got everyone you need in one room at one time. Mm. Um, and the same with conferences, I think. If it's a conference on the right sort of topic, and particularly if they give a delegate list in advance, so you can see who's going to be there, um, it can be a great way to kind of, you know, p- 
pick up with those people and, and have their contact details. I, I just wondered, is that something that either of you have done? I mean, you mentioned the networking yeah. in Birmingham. Yeah, I, I sort of go to user groups with data visualisation and I find that even though I'm a data journalist, I like to in interact with non-data journalists yeah. so, because I kind of think you can learn a lot in terms of visualisation techniques and you can apply that into your journalism work. And I think that's quite useful, particularly if you're... Because I don't know if you've done any stuff on data visualisation, Adam. I've not, no. But it's sort of... If you try and put yourself out there in a different industry, you'll find that they'll probably know you more for your work than, let's say, another person who doesn't doesn't go to that type of event. Mm. Yeah, so it's kind of picking the events that are going to work for you. Because I suppose to a certain extent there'll be certain events where everyone knows everyone anyway. Mm. So then actually, what are you going to get out of that? But if it's something where you've got a niche that kind of fits with that particular topic, but you're a bit more novel in that that situation. Yeah, I mean, and I used to... So I used to go to the Medical Journalism Awards and um, kind of every year. Um, and I was living in London doing that, and it's a small world health journalist so everybody knew everybody and it was just fun because you kind of meet up with everybody I have just entered this year with the idea that I'm going to go down because people move on and people change and that kind of small world where I did know everybody isn't necessarily the same world mm. anymore so mm. um yeah I think you know it's time to kind of go down and remind people that you exist just because you don't live in London yeah Good, good plan. Yes. <laughs> and well, you know, it's just an excuse for a night out as well, exactly. isn't it? So, yeah. It's just a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. So, one thing I have been wondering about, because we've been talking about sort of being confident and contacting people and kind of putting yourself out there. But, I mean, I wonder for those people um, who kind of find it more difficult to um, kind of have the confidence to reach out or network or not so sort of naturally inclined to that kind of exercise i mean what what would your advice be really you know people that are not necessarily I mean, yeah, going into naturally. A, going into a room that's full of people where you don't know anyone and kind of taking that deep breath and going up and kind of introducing yourself it's very nerve-wracking even yeah. if you're used to doing it mm. so if you're new to the industry or new to freelancing, I can imagine that's very daunting. Yeah, it's it's kind of awkward, isn't it, really? And kind of like it's not a natural thing to do to, to walk up to people and be like, hey, this is who I am and this is what I can do. Um, I think you really do just have to back yourself and realise that like what you're going through is something that everyone has kind of gone through and nobody, nobody is going to look at you as being silly if you're contacting them just trying to make a connection or if you're trying to look for work um if you are a, a little bit introverted and kind of find it a bit uncomfortable then as we were saying earlier social media is a great way just to start with a, a bit of an initial chat try and then get a phone call which is maybe potentially a bit less awkward for people or a bit a bit less intimidating um and you can plan a bit more what you're going to say, I yeah, guess, and yeah. just kind of think about questions you might want to ask. Yeah, and, I yeah. write down sometimes what like points and questions I'm going to make before a phone call, which sounds a bit lame, but actually mm. like you can easily lose track on the phone. Yeah. Um, and also, a lot of these people, maybe you build them up in your head to be a bit more than what they actually are. Like Everyone just is a person. Mm. And I used to get really nervous like meeting like the big dogs at certain departments at the BBC, 
uh, my word this person's like the editor of bbc breakfast and they just turn out to be like a really nice person and like they will have your best interests at heart a lot of the time so if you can just try and not get overwhelmed by who the person is and think that actually they were the same position like the guy who used to be the editor of bbc breakfast he started out as a local reporter in norwich on like a newspaper so he was exactly the same as everyone else so people and people don't forget that so um but yeah try and initially make a connection and just really back yourself yeah and it's just one of those things where it comes with practice so doing it Mm. so just kind of trying to do it that first time Mm. and then it's fine and you realize the world you know doesn't open up under your feet and it's perfectly normal and yeah yeah, it's you'll have more confidence the next time yeah once you kind of just once you do it once you really get into the rhythm fake it till you make it Exactly. Yeah. That's all everyone's ever done. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> I'd, probably, I'd pro- excuse me. I probably would say the opposite of that. I think. I think you have to be very authentic. I think when they say fake it till you make it, it's kind of. What does it actually mean? Did it, it's just well, I maybe think. just faking the confidence bit. If you don't yeah. feel confidence yeah. on the side, kind of just trying to pretend that you do this all the time and it's of, fine. Of course. And then you'll get. Hopefully, it becomes easier each time you do it i don't know if you found that i've i've always found just being authentic and just presenting myself as a very real person has helped me very much because they know that i'm not pretending to be something that i'm not and i think whenever i've interviewed people i i've always made it clear that i'll do my research i'll spend upwards of about a week or two doing research and preparing interview questions and I'll always get there on time. And I think that's what people like about me is because I don't I don't tend to come across as somebody that's fake or mm. or manufactured. I just come across as a real person. And I think editors and hiring managers kind of like that because then they, they can see that you're not sort of making it up as you go along. Um, I mean, one thing that we haven't said is this. We've talked a lot about kind of you making contact with someone else. But um, it's equally important, I think, that if someone reaches out to you, that you answer them as soon as possible. Mm. Um, you don't ignore them and think, oh, I'll, you know, I'll get in touch with them next week. Mm. That you show willing and keen on the other side of that yeah. relationship. Because someone might have found you on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn and reached out because they, you're the person they're looking for. If you then ig- ignore it or don't, then I think it's important to kind of respond quite quickly. I know you had some, you were asked to do some shifts for a publication last yeah. week Lily and you were kind of trying to juggle answering that yeah that's we were recording a podcast I was like oh I just need to email back yeah I'm I have to respond straight away to that sort of stuff because I feel like they're looking at that email right now and if you yeah. leave it they're going to start doing something else mm-hmm. and then they'll have 20 more emails coming in the next two minutes or ask somebody else they think they've yeah. got the wrong email or you're not around or whatever yeah. so you've lost that opportunity yeah I think it yeah that's right it's, it's responding and it's responding quickly um and i think you know busy editors really appreciate that when you're you know you're quick um i think it sort of shows that you're sort of on the ball really um someone gave me a good tip once as well it's kind of like the other way around of what we're talking about but um using like delayed delivery on emails so they they said to me that they used to always if they were emailing people um like say editors for example um, certain email providers you can do a delayed delivery so it, they would send it for like monday at around 10 a.m 
as like a prime time rather mm-hmm. than emailing on like a weekend when it's yeah, just going to yeah. get lost in the emails. And I've kind of used that trick since and it works It works really well, actually. Yeah, I do that. So I do, I do them in a draft mm. and then I send them at a particular time in the morning mm. so that it, I'm trying to time it so it's like the first email that they see. So yeah. I, I tend to send yeah. them half seven, eight o'clock. So a lot of editors come in like an hour before most other um, reporters I find and that is when I get the best response rate mm. but I don't necessarily have time to do that in the morning so I do it the night before leave it as a draft and then send it and and also as well a lot of organizations have um, their email is just the same for everyone so if you can find one person's email you yeah. can pretty much find out what another person's yeah. email is going to be of course and I also find that I think my best response rate is normally around about 6 a.m till 10 a.m because I think that's when most mm. people are likely to respond to yeah. you, and I think it's a lot. I think the afternoon you can find some success, but you really want to be finding the sweet spot around yeah. about six till ten a.m. Yeah, and um, that's a good point, actually, Adam, about how to find contacts in the first place. So, I mean, Google is your friend, but like you say, for a lot of organisations, if you find out kind of what the end. Yeah. It is. So I'm contacting a lot of NHS staff, so it's usually nhs.net. And the first bit, you can kind of have a guess at, a couple mm. of, and just stick it in Google, and then it'll come back. But you've searched, like, their name email, and it hasn't come up with anything. Mm. If you have a guess, nine times out of ten, you'll get, it'll come up. I've got many of people through that way. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's so, safe. Yeah, don't just give up at the first hurdle you will be able to find out that person with just a bit of sleuthing and that's what we're about we're journalists it is our job to kind of try and use these tricks to try and uncover uh where people are and what they're Uh, i'd be impressed if someone just randomly found like got in touch over email and i'd be like oh i wonder how they've got my email Hmm. i'd I'd be impressed yeah they've put some extra work in Mm. yeah exactly Brilliant. Okay, I think that's a good place to leave it. So I um, want to say thank you very much to our two guests today. And um, I think that's been really useful. There's been lots of helpful advice there. And I think, you know, the take home from this really is for people to get themselves organised, get get ne- networking and, and have confidence in doing it. Um, yes, yeah, so if you want to know more about any of this, you can check out our website at freelancingforjournalists.com where you'll find the links to any resources that we've mentioned in today's podcast. Um, and we'll put those links in the episode notes as well. As we mentioned earlier, our book, Freelancing for Journalists, is out hopefully in July 2020. So keep your eyes out for that. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And please do get in touch if you have any questions you would like answering on Freelance Life. And you can also email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com. If this has been at all helpful, then please like, rate and subscribe to the podcast so people can find us. And just a note to say that this podcast has been developed with the help of a grant from Sheffield Hallam University and was produced by students on the BA and MA journalism courses. And also, I'd like to say a big thank you to our studio producer, Richard Wilson. He's not actually here today, but he has been here through the course of um, all our episodes and has has really helped us out with production. Um, Yeah, so thanks for listening. And there will be some more episodes coming, so do watch this space. Goodbye. Bye.